had us at. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so example. You, you had, had us. us. Oh no! Do we do you have us? Well, one of us says you I had us. We go at, hello. But do we? Yeah. No, but then we go hello together. That's what we did last time. We go. One of us goes. Oh, you, you had, had us. That. At, oh yeah, yeah. We Welcome go, to. Hello. Right there. So. Hello. Hello. Welcome to. You had us at. Hello. hello. <laughs> um, okay, so everybody, me and Billy have driven home in silence from the big sick. Well, uh, we I mean, talking, sorry. We were talking about other things. <laughs> yeah. Not in total silence. Yes. So the premise of this third pod. Third pod. Third pod, uh, three times lucky. Third time lucky. Um, is that we wanted to go and see the big sick. Because on opening weekend. On opening weekend, because we wanted to have a date night, technically, because that's what this film should encourage people to do. You know? I noticed many people on dates. I noticed a lot of people on dates, Billy, yes. apart from us. Yeah. Um, so we decided to go and see The Big Sick. In the heart of Hollywood. The Arclight, one of my favourite places. Yes. Um, and then we agreed that we wouldn't talk about it until we got back to my apartment. So we're in, this time we're not at Billy's. Uh, we're just at my apartment. We've got my cat, Nora Ephron, otherwise known as Norbert. Home of Norbert. She's in the corner having some catnip. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about everything other. We talked about your wife and the new puppy and the dog show that she took the other dog to. I talked about bad work news. And your dating adventures. And my dating adventures. <laughs> If they could be called that. Um, and now we're sat here, and now you can tell me what you thought of the movie. <laughs> right. Well, okay, so the first question is, can you see the tracks of my tears? I you thought can... you were crying. I do. I cry easily at movies, but uh, especially when I don't cry necessarily at sad bits. Mm. I cry when I see something that strikes me as kind of beautiful. You know. I sensed your tears and in the moments of beauty. Um, <laughs> we should also obviously sort of explain that we want to talk about you the, the email that exchange that we had about what the, the content of this pod would be mm-hmm. would be Billy's just taken his shoes off, by the way, as I look out <laughs> is what are the kinds of obstacles that a neo post trad twenty eleven onwards rom com can utilize now that the older ones don't work so well, which makes it sounded like one of my dissertations in, <laughs> in, when I was right. at, doing film studies. But this is, it was prompted by this movie, The Big Sick, right. um, which is a 100% a romantic comedy. Absolutely. Um, I sensed that you loved it. Yes, very much. Okay. It was submitted to my studio twice, and in fact, I gave a consider both times, and I lobbied, tried to get us to purchase same, but we did not. It's, sadly. I mean, let's just like, I just want to like, get some stuff out because mm-hmm. I think it's Please. a truly, truly wonderfully hearted movie. Yes, it's like, a big, I have, big hearted I have movie. never felt such... I, I, I mean, like, it's really difficult to put into words in some ways because I just... It, it was much more of a feeling that I had through the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of, like, this is a film that is made with such love. Yes. For, like... Not just for each other, because it's obviously based on a it's based on a true story. So it's Kamal Nijali and Emily V. Gordon, and this actually happened to them. Um, she they met, they fell in love. 
Um, then they fell out of love because he is a Pakistani and he was supposed to have arranged marriages um, and he didn't want to tell his family about her. And then she falls into a coma. Yeah. And the middle section of the film is actually all about his relationship with, with the parents. Folks, yeah, yeah, which is... And his difficulties with his own. Yes. Now, we're not going to have spoilers no. in that we won't reveal, for example, the ending. No. Or anything like I think that. everyone... I think but there's but been what you've just said press. is pretty much well known in terms of what the movie's about. Yeah. yeah, and I, and you think about one thing that I think has been so wonderful about all the press actually is that the you know the the old adage of like write what you know and write who you know more importantly is so prevalent in this film and it comes I, from a personal oh, place. It comes from the most personal place mm-hmm. and and they've marked it like that smartly so you know the, he you know he his character is called his name yeah, you know yeah. um and hers is roughly her name i think different surname mm-hmm. um and i was really fascinated by the first act of the film because really the first act is is a whole rom-com in itself yeah uh and then the middle section is a, a very different type of romantic comedy um to do with although old finger up. i will point out that That's Nora's bell, by the Nora. way. Nora. I'll point out that the midsection of the movie, funnily enough, falls into a certain rom-com category, which is what I would call the meet the parents yes, category. Yes, totally. So that the midsection of the movie is, in a quirky way, a version of that kind of an obstacle. Yes. You know, it's not Robert De Niro being a CIA agent. It's that his parents are strictly Pakistani. Yeah. And... Her parents, having learned of their breakup, at first want nothing to do with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So there's, that's a huge obstacle on both sides. Yeah, and so a friend of mine texted me because they were like, I can't wait to see what you think about it. I just want to say that I feel like the, 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 actually it's not a rom-com. <laughs> oh. And I said... No. no I'm, and I literally was like, I love you, and I'm just going to say right up front now in a text before I've even seen the movie, <laughs> it is a romantic comedy. It's so completely You take the love comedy. interest out of this film. You take you the drive. No you have no story. There is no you story. You have no story. Um... But that said, in terms of what we wanted to talk about today, the obstacles are very modern. Yes. Um, in two forms, in the sense that um, it takes, you know, uh, while you were sleeping to the next level, you know, the, it's, <laughs> right. the actual love is in a coma rather yeah. than the brother Girlfriend or sister. Girlfriend in of, a coma. Girlfriend in a coma. Yeah. Um, that was my Morrissey impression. Um and then on top of that, it's it's all about religion and race in America today. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting for me because growing up in England, I had a lot of Pakistani Muslim friends at, at primary school, at w- what you would call elementary school. Mm-hmm. And I found so much of the family stuff in this movie so familiar and touching and nice and at the same time obviously incredibly complicated because yeah. his parents are obsessed with him having an arranged marriage. Um, and... Right, you know, rightly in their mind, rightly so. And and can we just talk about Kamal Nijali's um, eyes, and that maybe we can go swimming in them? <laughs> you go swimming in them, and I'll just keep uh, bussing Zoe Kazan's cheeks. Ray Romano has... steals the. Sh- I mean, he is fantastic in it. He's the father. But Holly Hunter. Oh, great! I mean, she's so always good, good, but she's always good. Whereas I'm like Ray Romano. Hello. I mean, yeah. obviously, like for America, he's a much. Bigger, everyone was well, and, and I loved the two of them as a couple, of course, because he's so large and she's so small. Yeah. And it's already just so, so endearing to see them together. And the fact that there's conflict for yeah. them. And we can't really go into the details, but um, 
their performances enliven what's already really well detailed on the page, though. What would you... When you read it, um, you obviously loved it. Cause yeah. You, and do you think that... What were your big sort of, like, rom-com notes about it, like, in terms of... Um, I, for me, it was... It adhered to all of the tropes and all of your seven beats. Yeah, it's all in there, but that's what was so fun about it was that it came encased in a story that had its own very organic feeling to it. Meaning you never had a sense of like, oh, it, it has to go here now. Uh, there's a little bit of that in the tail end, but that's unavoidable. Yeah. In terms of you're going into a climax and there's only a certain number of ways you can go. Uh, but no, what, what struck me immediately was here was a voice. Mm. And Camille's voice is very strong. And I had already was already a fan through Silicon Valley. And I'd seen a little bit of his stand-up. And I guess what first got me was A, the honesty. Oh, it's so honest. Isn't and, it? and the a- absolute pull no punches, kind of awkwardness, and uh, all the things that uh, most screenwriters are tempted to write out of a oh, script. Yes. You know, the little awkward moments, the little discomforts, the little miscommunications, everything is so true to life that I was already, you know, fully convinced before the big turning point of the coma. I was like, well, this is already fun. Yeah, from the get-go, I mean, I have to say, as soon as the opening titles were to Devil's Haircut by Beck, I felt comfortable. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're so used to hearing sort of a more typical rom-com kind of song, and right, that, didn't, that right. didn't feel typical, which yeah. I thought was great. I also thought that she was not a manic pixie dream girl no which pleased me greatly she's a real woman she, with real issues and real concerns and yeah yeah and she's funny and i my favorite line you may have heard me laugh out loud when she says something like when he's trying to show her that the movie the vincent price movie and she <laughs> yeah. says no no i love it when men test me on my taste yeah <laughs> i thought that was very uh yeah came from a woman's mouth <laughs> And the honesty goes hand in hand with a real sense of contemporary moments of truth. There's a lot of attention in the movie to the, like the laughs in the house often came from, there were laughs of recognition of people going, yes, that's what it's like now. It's funny, isn't it? Because it was so nice seeing it in a cinema with, it was, I would say it was three quarters full at least. Yeah. Um, And I think it might've been full by the time the movie started there. Um, and I would encourage you all to go and see this in the cinema. Um, You're going to want to because I think the word of mouth on this is going to be tremendous. And I think as well that I, I we talked about this, I think, in one of the pods. One of the two pods we've done. <laughs> the, the many. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we've just talked about it in life. But, you know, I keep sort of telling myself that the home of the rom-com is now Netflix and, and Amazon. And, and actually seeing the big sick on the big screen tonight... Reminded me, no, that's that's doesn't we, have to we, be. we really need to fight for these movies that are not huge, big blockbuster, um, you know, uh, things. Uh, we have to go to see them with our friends, our other halves, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just burping because I am having a beer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think this the, the the selling point for a movie like this is it really is a date movie mm. because if you think about what people want yeah. from a movie when they go out in a situation like that is they want to feel uh, a certain kind of familiarity and intimacy 
with the people in the movie that they can relate to. Everyone can laugh together about it. This, to me, is the ideal freaking date movie because it's real. The big knock against romantic comedy and the kinds of rom-coms that have almost killed the genre is that formulaic stuff where people are just kind of moving through the hoops. Yeah. It's not about anything. No. This is about real issues and the characters are very true to themselves and they're very unconventional in very human ways. It's so authentic. I mean, obviously it's authentic because it's their story as well. I just found myself having like, it's like... I think when we met before in the bar, I was I said to you, I'm really nervous about watching yeah, this film. Well, because I think, you know, for me, I, I, I want to love these movies and, and so often I don't because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I find myself in a situation where people have gone to me, oh, it's a rom-com, you're going to love it, and then I go and see it and I'm like, well, right, no. yeah. what, just because, you know, like exactly what you've just said, it's just going through the tropes and... And and I was nervous as well because I, I also get insanely jealous when I do love. <laughs> right. Why couldn't I have written that? Yeah, I get yeah. very like I think because you know I I just get sort of frustrated that we're not there's not more of us being given the opportunity to make these these small little movies that that do ultimately find an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that I'm the only person that's trying to do that. There's lots of us who are trying to do that, but there's a part of me that I'm just really. I'm, I've got brilliant envy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, everyone get behind this. I fucking love hate it. <laughs> because I want it to do so well. Yes. And, and I don't want to feel disappointed by the world any more than I do at the moment. So mm-hmm. please, you well, what know, I've that been, kind of thing. Yeah, what I've, been saying <laughs> no to, pressure, what I've been saying to a lot of people is get ready for... Uh, you're going to start reading these articles, look for it, where they're all going, oh, the romantic comedy's back. Really, all that means is one really good movie came out and made some money. Well, and as it, soon as that happens... But I, I, there's already... I feel like we talk about this every single pod, but maybe yeah. that's just part of it, you know? You know, you tweeted the other day about, you know, there's going to be all this slew of articles, and then literally there were suddenly maybe four... I've read at least, like, five in right, the last few days. Right. Yeah, um, no, because, yeah. And it's, it's kind of... Oh, that's Nora scratching mm-hmm. the sofa. Scratching the couch. Both for it, Norbs. Um, you know, they, were, they have been fantastic reviews for this film. Yeah. You know, it rightly should get nominated for stuff. It rightly should be in that pantheon of yeah, movies yeah. that really, like, break out at the box office. But because I've got PTSD the whole time from Trump and Brexit and everything, I don't believe in hope anymore or, or even in the basic concept of it. So I just... <laughs> please, like, yeah. I can't... I think... Go to the movies, see this film, and be part of it. And also, it's really fascinating because I don't. There is not, you know, in England we had we've had East is East, mm. um, Bender like Beckham. We've had quite a few movies that feature, you know, predominantly Muslim characters, and uh. we've also had things like Four Lions, which mm-hmm. is obviously, you know, a comedy about um, suicide bombers. Whereas here, I don't really feel like you, that you've touched on it as much. Right. And I think it's really important here, particularly at the moment, you know, to see a Muslim family interacting and and being exactly who they are in a brilliant way. I think that that, to me, was also one part of it that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. So, yeah. And just by being true to himself, he's given such a boost to the, the image in American cinema of Muslim characters. Oh, I mean, it's... 
it's the ideal platform because he's funny about things and he's funny about it's almost like a comedy get out on that level the middle yeah. the middle section of the film very much you know mm-hmm. because he's trying to Nora can you stop eating your tuna with such loud chops and for screenwriters it's a it's an object lesson in making things difficult for your characters because yes. one of the reasons why the film works so well is everything's earned meaning there's not a shift in characterization, in, in arc. There's not a shift in plot that you don't feel the credible truth underneath Every it. turn. Every yeah. turn you feel like, yes, that is what these people would do. That is what might happen. And it often means that people are really tough with each other. Well, I, I think what I really appreciated about it, because I myself have been in, I'm sure everyone has been in circumstances where you're in a hospital when stuff is happening, mm. and... Essentially, you're in shock for most for most of the duration of your time there, yeah. and you you don't act normally, and you you do kind of make you know make statements that you would never normally say, but you also have a kind of sort of softness to you that that kind of comes about because you're well, in you're a vulnerable, yeah. you're just so naked, yeah. in, in a situation like. That. And I liked as well that they didn't go for the obvious. I didn't feel like anything was too on the nose. I think mm-hmm. there I think there was a version of this film that might have had like. The comedy doctors and right, the like, right. you know, the sure. nurse that said the funny line because she's mm-hmm. a nurse, and because yeah, there's yeah. been that tendency in, in comedies to right. do that. And I really liked how everyone around them was very grounded. Which is quite a feat when you realize, like I said, I came out of the movie crying. Um, there are many really painful moments, mm. and the balance that it strikes between comedy and drama is really tricky I mean to to pull it off and make it all seem of a piece is quite an achievement yeah and I would say like I I laughed out loud maybe 10 times which is a good amount but I can guarantee you when I watch it again I will laugh maybe 20 times because it's right well the laughs have have uh staying power and resonance this isn't a spoiler but there's one moment in the movie I noticed where uh a line got a laugh, and a character left the frame, and basically what we were looking at in the screen was an empty couch for a moment, <laughs> and people then laughed again. Again, yeah. The laughs just continued, yeah. even though there was literally yeah, there nothing was like, no. going on. Yeah. And that's just because we had hit that, this movie hits that sweet spot where you're just in, as you said, the, the warm-hearted feeling oh. of it, and so you're, it's so generous that it creates generosity in you. And if you are on a date and you see this movie, it's going to encourage you to be honest. It's going to encourage you to be yourself and Mm. stop fronting. And you might get to know the person you're with a little better, actually, uh, because of the way this film pushes those right buttons. You're great when you get drunk, honey. Why don't you get drunk with me no more? So for the benefit of those who have not yet seen The Big Sick, um, we should probably segue into the larger issue of just what I think is really interesting for for the genre now and future, which is this idea of we have to find ways to write romantic comedies that speak to the current moment uh, 
without relying on the old formulaic uh, stuff because it's not operative anymore. And so what Tess and I did is we made a sort of a short list of movies that have come out over the past mm, six, seven, eight years where the obstacle in the movie is has to be something new, something a little different because just the historical record, screwball comedies, which is the birth of romantic comedy, came from a very strict social code era, the Hayes Code. In the days when the screwballs started in the 30s, there were even rules about, like, if you had a married couple, uh, you had to show uh, separate beds. Yes. And That's wh- why they put the sheet up in It Happened One Night. Yeah, well, and, and if, if they were actually getting into a bed, there had to be one foot on the floor. I mean, we're talking early days. But... In those days, the biggest obstacle was sexual attraction, ironically. You could always plug that in because the idea was no one could be having sex. That was considered the big taboo. So you'd have all these obstacles that were built around that, and it made it very simple. You always had a movie that would end either in marriage or not, and you had this physical attraction as sort of part of the obstacle itself, along with the societal codes that made that uh, verboten. And now, of course, we're in such a completely different era that it's it's actually a challenge. It's hard for romantic comedy writers to come up with stuff that will work as an obstacle that will keep people apart. It's. I think it's. I think what's fascinating about it is that you is that really it sh- that shouldn't be the case <laughs> um, because at the end of the day. There, there were so many like actual human obstacles to getting together with someone nowadays. It's actually like you know, there's constant walls and blockades and various sort of things, which is probably exactly the same as back in the Hayes Code. It's just, it's just now we're we're actually like blocking ourselves rather yeah. than the government or right. the beast <laughs> is within. The beast is within us mm-hmm. now. But yes, in in relation to like how to, I guess update some of these things or how to just find different ways in um with the big sick i suppose the big question you know what's posed is you know in terms of what we just talked about religion uh race all of that well and And a coma and a coma and a coma so that's (laughs) that's that's three quite major front loaded front loaded things um so some of the movies that we looked at um and I'm, I found myself breaking, as, a, as is my want, <laughs> I found myself breaking them down into subcategories. One oh, is okay. hybrids. So you have a movie like Warm Bodies, where the obstacle is one of the couple is a zombie. <laughs> Which, as you pointed out, takes uh, you know, Shaun of the Dead to a whole other level. Did you notice in The Big Sick that in his bedroom he has a Shaun of the Dead yes, poster? Yes, I did see that, yeah. I love that nod. So warm bodies, you know, the fact that uh, the, the, the man is a zombie is a, is a considerable obstacle. And then there's a movie like Safety Not Guaranteed. Where, oh, I've, I've never seen that. Oh, you'd enjoy it. It's uh, Duplass, Mark Duplass, and uh, Aubrey Plaza. I love her. And in that movie, uh, a reporter answers an ad from what seems to be a mad scientist. He's looking for someone who will travel in time with him. And so she takes on, she sort of poses as someone just answering the ad because she wants to find out what is the deal with this guy. So it's science fiction. Right, So we've got horror in Warm Bodies, sci-fi in Safety Not Guaranteed, but both of those movies are romantic. Thick comedies. Big time. I I rewatched my 
all-time favourite of the last five years, Obvious Child. Ah. Uh, Gillian, I, I hear it's a hard G. Gillian Rosbier? Rosbier? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, it came out in 2014. Uh, Jenny Slate is a fucking genius in it. And, you know, will you still want to date me after I've aborted our child? Is Right. So this, to me, is the category of contemporary obstacles. Because you couldn't have even made Obvious Child 20 years ago. It just would not have happened. So there, there you've got something which is like, right, uh, we, we had this one-night stand, we created this child, I don't want to have it. That's a pretty considerable But I obstacle. quite like you. Yeah, but I like you. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's a pretty you know, serious contemporary obstacle. Uh, the other movies that sort of fall into that, some of which have not been quite so successful, but two come to mind. Uh, where it's, a, again, a contemporary issue. One is five-year engagement. Yes. And the other is going the distance, because those are both about the kinds of problems that modern folk would have. I really... I actually know Jeff a little bit, the writer of Going the Distance, and I, I'm, we, we met up and had an amazing rant about romantic comedies because, you know, we've we both obviously written, written, written them and um, both really enjoyed each other's, so it was mm. a great like love fest of, like, whatever. But at the same time... I thought Going the Distance was a lovely little movie that was really about something very real in terms of, you know, can you sustain a long-distance long relationship, relationship with someone right. that you don't... Yeah. You're getting to know in a long-distance sense as well. So um, I think it's a lovely little film. Yeah. Um, with a couple of really funny bits. Yeah, very funny bit. Really well cast as well. I think, you know, for me, I'll always watch Drew Barrymore anyway. And mm-hmm. Five Year Engagement is taking that... What I, what I enjoyed about Five Year Engagement is I actually think Five Year Engagement... I mean, it's a bit long. It's too long. They're all just too long. But I feel it could have been made 20 years ago, weirdly, the Five Year Engagement. There yeah. was a definite, like, Spencer, Tracy, Catherine Hepburn vibe to... Right. In terms of the, the commitment issues. Yeah. Which is, you know, timeless. Right. Um, True. But updated True. in... Updated in contemporary terms about what are the things that might keep a couple from getting married. Yes. Even when they want to. Uh, that have very pragmatic and practical obstacles that are the sorts of things that uh, many relationships face. Yeah. So I had as well. Is it okay to date your new friend's ex-husband? Which is enough said. Enough said. Yes. <laughs> enough said is is really great because oh, I it, love that movie. And the one that I would pair with enough said as as an as a contemporary way of creating obstacles is Crazy Stupid Love. Yes. Because these are both movies where it's the outlying relationships that the protagonists create that are inadvertently the obstacle to the romance. Meaning, meaning, in enough said, she's befriended, she's a masseuse who's befriended one of her clients who's always complaining about her ex-husband and she's unaware, Julia Louise Dreyfus, that she's dating Dating the ex-husband. But again, kind of screwball as well. Oh, wonderfully screwball. And Crazy Stupid Love, you've got a uh, jilted husband who's in a separation from his wife and with a lovely daughter and he strikes this weird friendship with Ryan Gosling, who's teaching him how to seduce women, unaware that this very man it's has seducing. fallen in love with his daughter. You know what was really interesting about Crazy Stupid Love? I, the first time I saw it, I, I, I just really I liked it. I was like, yeah, really enjoyed that. But I felt slightly 
like the, the reveal that it was actually that Ryan Gosling was was dating Emma Stone and that was that it was actually Steve Carell's daughter th- threw me. I, I didn't see it coming. I was very relaxed in the movie. I was obviously distracted by the dirty dancing scene and just generally the whole vibe of the film. So when that beat came, I was yeah. a bit, oh really? Yeah. Then I watched it a second time, and because I knew, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a million times more. Oh, it was a really yeah, yeah. interesting experience of mm-hmm. going, now I know the reveal, right. I feel totally comfortable in all these little ne- extra layers that I hadn't seen kind of coming before. Yeah, no, it's a beautifully um, constructed movie. It's brilliantly constructed And in movie. fact, the writer Dan Fogelman has a new script, Ooh. which is rumored to be the new great Hollywood screenplay. Oh, uh, I haven't read it. As but yet. we didn't we write the new great Hollywood? Well, screenplay? another one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so no, he's <laughs> he's someone to keep an eye on, of course. Um, and then the the uh, the only other movie that sort of kind of falls into this category of new-ish issues, Easy A, because the idea of someone who actually lies about losing her virginity and that's what makes her a pariah. Well, EZA is interesting as well because it's really the clueless of the last five years Uh in terms of taking a classic book Mm -hmm. and then, you know, updating it and adapting it into a very very modern context. Yeah. Um, Because EZA is Scarlet Letter, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. She's Hester Is it Nathaniel Hawthorne? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've obviously haven't read it, but, you know, like the way I dropped it in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're very well read. Thank you. Thank you. Um, (laughs) What I, I mean, I love EZA. I think EZA is mm-hmm. a great movie. A lot of fun. Um, but it's interesting when you look at Clueless and that. They're great. They should do it. That's a great double bill in terms of, you know, modern female characters. Kind yeah, of, yeah. you know. Based on old. Based on female. old female characters. Um, but I like the idea. There was a time like about four or five years ago, maybe a bit longer, where I would, was constantly sent um, updated versions of... Um, Cyrano de Bergerac slash Roxanne. Uh, It was like a real thing for people, I think, in the modern era. Mm -hmm. I I was constantly sensitive to like one-page outlines that that they wanted me to write or or scripts to rewrite that Mm. were sort of saying, but look what can happen in the modern world now. You know, now that someone can lie totally, like, you know, they can catfish. And it's like, no, like... Cyrano de Bergerac and Roxanne exist for a reason because Roxanne is the updating of that. And Mm -hmm. to, like, update it now and just have people sat at their computer screens... You know, you've got to think beyond yeah, it's that. Obvious, you know, so. you, yeah, you have to kind of work harder on updating that. I'm happy mm-hmm. for someone to prove me wrong, but mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, the conceit of all of that is that's what makes it so wonderful. Whereas now I'm like, but anyone can pretend to be anyone online, and that's the sadness of you know of the world. I'm a bit down on the world today, aren't I? I'm not after the big sit. No, you're feeling better already. I'm feeling better already. Um, I'm going to throw in the kids are all right. Yeah. The artificial insemination. Right, rom-com. exactly. Artificial insemination and lesbian love. Lesbian couple and finding, you know, finding your father, mm-hmm. um, whose mm-hmm. sperm, he, who, you know, he donated it. I think, and then one of them, you know, she sleeps with him as well. One of the yeah. Um, I did. It's funny, kids. All right. I in hind, I remember watching it and thinking it was so. It's it's a little smug on some levels in terms of like their lives oh. and their existence and and, and mm-hmm. everything, but I think it's got a really I think it's trying to say some interesting things. You know, I think it's got a lot of um, quirk to it, which I really enjoyed. 
Um, we also can, we can't leave out the, uh, the the duet of no strings attached and friends with benefits. Oh, you see, now this is that's interesting because I actually haven't seen no strings attached, but I did really enjoy friends with benefits. Oh, it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> My wife and I watch friends with benefits like once. You a know, year. I don't believe in guilty pleasures, though. You oh, know, that's right. you yeah. shouldn't feel guilty. That's right. We've just talked be, about just this. have pleasure. Yes, it's no a pleasure. guilt involved. It's a pleasure, and uh, no strings attached is the bad version. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I. What I love about Friends with Benefits, and what I remember watching it and thinking, oh, chemistry. So Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake yeah. have off the chart chemistry, right, and they days. carry that movie. Yeah, you know, I, it's it's too long. Again, mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. nearly two hours. But whenever it's one of those ones when it's on, it, it commits to the genre in such a brilliant way. Don't forget about Friends with Kids as well, which is the Jennifer Westford right. one, which is can you have a best friend? Uh, can you have a best friend? Can you have a baby with your best friend? Yeah. Again, so those three kind of fit and into let's just the, say the that Friends all, thing. Yeah, all of these films that we have been talking about have come mm. out in the last seven years, and there are more that we could probably go deep on, and it just goes to prove our constant point that... <laughs> you can make a romantic You can comedy make work. a romantic comedy. Yes. And um, you should make a romantic comedy. Um, and I feel like... I, I hope that The Big Sick is this new sort of sway towards financiers saying oh if you if you think of a clever and interesting modern way to tell the same story just like people do with thrillers just yeah, like yeah, people yeah. do with yeah. horrors oh, um, if you build it they will come oh my god i mean please yeah i mean yes yeah no but that's <laughs> what i mean by that thing about how everyone's gonna go oh the romantic comedy's back it's like no it's not that it's back it's not that it even went away it's that someone made a good one and it strikes a chord with people. I know. And that's all it takes, really, I know. to and make it, it okay. And I, you know, and I will, you know, I, I think that I'm pleased that it's, if, it, if it's going to be any movie that does that for the romantic comedy, I'm very pleased it's The Big Sick because I feel it, it because I think it's, like I keep saying, I just think it's so, the heart is so lovely to it. I'm not so, I mean, I didn't cry because I decided to shut down all my barriers today for some reason. But I will cry when I watch it again. And I could easily have <laughs> cried, but I was just doing that thing where I was... And yeah. I kept thinking, has Billy got a cold? No, he's crying. My very first date, since we are on a date night, <laughs> was with a... Uh, in elementary school, uh, a girl that I was besotted with named Judy Gale. Who of unfortunately, course, Judy Gale. Course. Who unfortunately died at oh, a fairly young Billy! Age. No, but that's beside the point. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, early on, we went to West Side Story together. And this was our first time as a dating couple. I think we were in sixth grade. Mm. And that's a movie that if you're not crying by the end of it, there's something wrong Wrong with with you. you, But because I was with Judy Gale, I did my damnedest. And I held back. If I sniffled, I really faked it well. And I, like, did this everything I could to, like, hold it in, not be crying, really be the guy, right? <laughs> okay, so the movie's over. She's absolutely, there's just snot pouring out all over her face. She's a complete and total wreck. And she turns to me and she looks at me and she says, I can't believe you didn't cry. <laughs> It was just ruination. You see? I'm trying to think what my first date movie was. Mm. Do you know what? Weirdly... Subject for further research. No, but, like, when I actually think about what the first, like, seminal movie that I watched with a, with a 
someone was probably silence of the lambs which explains so much there it is so so much such a touching story i know the ultimate romantic Mm. comedy Mm. So this past week, a wonderful thing, wonderful thing happened, which is that AFI, in their infinite wisdom, decided to celebrate the career of Diane Keaton. And they did this marvelous tribute to her. Uh, you've s- it was actually the week before last, Billy. Week before last. Uh, the AFI Lifetime Achievement, Achievement Award. Award. Right. And the, the great thing about it was it was really a celebration of Keaton as this completely distinctive human being. Time and time again, anybody who came up to the mic, anyone who was talking, it kept coming back to this idea of like, there's really, there's only one of you. And I've been in love with her forever. Get in line, Billy. Yeah, and and, uh, it was a pleasure to see her Fetted and and see her. It, uh, I wanted to, we like it's funny because you um, the reason we wanted to have our final section about Diane is for bit well you don't know my Diane stories and I don't know your Diane yeah, stories yeah, yeah. so your Diane stories are actual Diane stories but um, my Diane Keaton story is that a couple of years ago so I've always loved her um, and always found her to be a fascinating person but had never read then again which is, is mm. her autobiography mm-hmm. one of her autobiographies she's mm-hmm. written two uh, one called let's just say it isn't pretty but i read then again um and it it changed actually i you know like no hyperbole it genuinely changed my life wow um diane keaton has lived a very unconventional life. Mm-hmm. So let's like take a let's like let's not forget that she's had like four Oscars and has been nominated twenty four times and has been in some of my favorite films. Her actual lifestyle to me is something that I think is absolutely fascinating. So she adopted children in her fifties. Right. She never met the love of her life, but she took never many married. lovers yeah. and and slept with some fantastic men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she writes about all of them with great love and affection. Um, she's California born and bred, you know, her, uh, and, and the, the then again is very much about um, her mum and her mum, her, the, the death of her mother. And on top of that, it coincided with me meeting someone that you know, Laura Barton, who's a very, very good friend of mine who I met in California. And me and Laura had a incredible... We have a, like a motto, which is "What would Diane Keaton do?" Yeah, um, and we even started a Tumblr that I think we have one post on, which is "What would Diane Keaton do?" Because she really is one of those women that, for if you haven't gone on the same path as other women in in your late thirties, early forties, she's a real beacon of sort of like hope and yeah. um, kind of kind of slightly controversial in some of her decision making but at the same time sort of just does exactly what she wants to do and is very open about all of her you know in her book she's very open about having bulimia and which took her a long time to fess up to mm-hmm. um and on top of that me and laura had this fatal i mean in a good way afternoon uh when it was raining once in venice beach and we watched baby boom uh-huh. um and we were just obsessed with the fridge kiss that when <laughs> Sam Shepard kissed at the fridge kiss. And then on the way 
I think back to on a flight together, we simultaneously watch Something's Gotta Give. Ah. Yeah. So one thing about Diane that's really kind of great. Turtlenecks. Yeah, turtlenecks. <laughs> is, well, is that both ends of her career, right? Mm. Annie Hall made her one of the great romantic comedy heroines in the history of the genre, right? And then all those years later, Something Gotta Give and some of the other later movies, there she is as a viable romantic comedy well, lead. To, to yeah. like link to what this whole podcast is about, something's yeah. got to give. You know, the whole premise of that movie. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not in the last seven years, but the whole premise of that movie is: is it okay to date your daughter's boyfriend who's <laughs> just had a heart attack right. in, in your right. home? Exactly. <laughs> and I, something's got to give is easily in my top ten romantic comedies. Just so you know, I think it's I think it is an unbelievably female film um, mm. that takes. Mm-hmm. Lots of big questions about sexuality at that age, and also young like Keanu Reeves wants to bone her in a brilliant, right. but not in right. like a not in like an on the nose way, and just a really genuine "you are an interesting woman" way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find her, you know, she she talks in her autobiography the fact that during the eighties she just couldn't get a gig, and you know, so she had that amazing career with Woody Allen, and then in her eighties, just like you know, no one wanted you know stuff she did flopped and. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because she pursued unconventional movies that were the movies that appealed to her. She was never someone who, at that point in her career, picked things because they were a commercial thing to do. No, she is very brave. And I think her bravery comes through in her performance. And I noticed, so in the AFI, when they were all doing their speeches, I wrote it down, actually, because I thought it was such a brilliant thing. Warren Beatty did a tribute to her. And he said, character is plot... Diane Keaton is a plot. Mm. The woman is a story. Mm. And I thought, what a wonderful thing to be said about you. Really, really. And he also, by the way, there in public, credited her with the success of Reds, which which I thought was really smart of him to finally own up to, because everyone thinks of it as his Mm. movie. But when you see it again... She is so much the heart and soul of that picture. Well, also, he is the... Oh, to me, Warren Beatty's fascinating anyway because he's such a, like... He's, he's like a sneaky feminist, Warren Beatty. And, mm. and she talks about him in, in one of her books in such... He... They, they had this, you know, affair and he was... She loved him when she was a teenager and suddenly she was having sex with him. I mean, mm. it was just, like, this incredible thing. But what he, was, what he was very good was at saying to her, you are talented, Diane. You should be doing this. You mm. should be doing that. And mm-hmm. he's obviously, clearly, you know, he's Warren Beatty. Don't get me wrong. He's sure he's got an ego. But he's, he was... You never get the sense that he was anything other than 100% supportive of her. Um, and, yeah, I mean, she's, she's amazing in that movie and she doesn't get enough credit for those kind of roles, I don't think. But what are your Diane Keaton stories? Can you have... <laughs> so, Billy, just to give you some context to this, I, we agreed to do a Diane Keaton, like, 10 minutes, which is probably going to be 20 because we love her. Um, and you sent me a link to one of your blog posts saying, oh, but look, here's my Diane stories. And I was like, I'm not reading it. I want you to tell me your Diane stories. <laughs> okay. I'll try, I'll try to be brief, but it was one of the loveliest experiences of my life. Uh, back in the early, in, sorry, in the late 70s, uh, shortly after Annie Hall and Interiors, um, in my career and my other life, I was a singer-songwriter, and uh, Carly Simon is an old friend, and we work together a lot. So it just so happens that Carly's manager, Arlene Rothberg, was also Diane Keaton's manager. So one day, the phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was Arlene, and she said, do you think, would it be okay, are you at all interested in perhaps uh, working with Diane Keaton? 
And it was one of these like, uh, well, let me think about it. You know, and it's like, uh, no, of course, what she wanted was a vocal coach because there was thought after Annie Hall that she might make a record. And because I was keyboard player for Carly, et cetera, et cetera, it just, it just came together that for a period of like somewhere between four to six months, practically once a week, Diane Keaton came up to my apartment. Oh, wow. And we played... Music. I can't believe you've taken this long. <laughs> I was this her- is like the ultimate bury the lead of our entire three-year <laughs> friendship. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> I was her keyboard player, and she, in fact, sang even one of my songs was part of her repertoire. We did a couple of standards. We did, like, These Foolish Things, and uh, I also, pre-Linda Ronstadt, had her singing Smokey Robinson. We did Ooh, Baby, Baby, mm. and she was lovely in that. I, I just can't explain what a joy it was to hang out with her. We socialized a bit. I met Warren with her at the time. Um, and he's a man who, when you meet him, makes you feel like you are the most astounding This is what I feel, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, so that was kind of great. And we, 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 we corresponded for a while after that and uh, kept in touch over the years, which was kind of great. But I will always treasure that little window of time well, that that's just, like, her. such a Diane Keaton story as well. You know, like, I, I encourage everyone, particularly women uh, of a 34 to 45... No, 34 onwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to read then again. Yeah. Um, it's a good read. And also the second one, which is... Uh, let's, like, what is it? Is it like, let's just say it wasn't pretty. Mm-hmm. Is actually very much about how she feels about her physical self. and Right. And it's often said of her that, you know, she, she's always hidden her body. You know, she'll, like, find every way to kind of, like, cover mm. it and um, because of her various hang-ups about whatever. But at the same time, she's so open about it, so you don't yeah, kind yeah. of mind. And also, we all know she's had affairs and had, you know, love in her life. So you don't feel like it's, a, it's the worst issue for her. But, like, I love the fact that... I know, it just seems like that's just a, like, that's a story I would expect it to be. Yeah, come and help me, like, sing. Come and help me, like, write some songs. I'm open to that, you know? And that goes back to the what would Diane Keaton do thing. It's like, and it's, it's actually a good mantra to kind of try and, as a woman, to be like, but what would Diane Keaton do? She'd be like, go on that date. Right. Who knows what will happen? Right. She'd be there. One of my favourite things about her in the, in, the, in the second book is that she drinks red wine with ice in it. So she has, yeah, so she has her own brand. She has her own, I think, Pinot Noir or whatever, huh. which is a Diane Keaton that she's blending because oh. she loves red wine so much. But she drinks it with ice in it. How great. I love it. I love, yeah. I just love the fact that, and she does up houses in LA. Like, she, you know, she flips houses. She, like, does them all up and turns them into whatever. And I just find that, like, she's never been one to just be like, oh, I'm just going to be, you know, one thing. I'm well, going to be... she's a photographer as well. She's an amazing photographer, yeah. yeah. She's got a great Instagram, actually. She has mm-hmm. some crazy things on it. But I think she's, like... I always like her choices as well. We had, The other night, a bunch of us gals, we watched um, The First Wives Club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which is, you know, just it's a fun movie, but mm-hmm. she's so great in it. She's mm-hmm. so vulnerable and kind of flawed and, and messy, and she's so good at doing that kind of role that I think men 
She appeals to everyone. Yeah. And that's no mean feat. She's actually... Emma Stone is a very much a very modern version of her, mm-hmm. I, I think, mm-hmm. um, in terms of... And Jenny Slate, actually. I think there's a good crossover with both of them in terms of that kind of thing. I see. And let's not forget Father of the Bride. And also, she's in The Young Fucking Pope. Did you watch any of The Young Pope? No, Pokes? I haven't seen that. Okay, I watched maybe four episodes of it. Um, and then I was like, this is... So brilliant, but also ridiculous. And I just, I couldn't, I, there's so many shows I just could I lost track. But she is amazing in it. I mean, mm. she plays the Pope's mum. And I love that choice. <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, Diane, do you want to play the Pope's mum in like an HBO show? Yeah, She's like, like, why not? Why not? Yeah. Sure. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> so a theme actually of the whole pod. That we're getting to at the end now. Yeah, because yeah, we're getting to the end. That occurs to me as I listen to you talk about her is that idea of being true to who you are. Oh my God, yes. Because a lot of screenwriters are always looking at the market and they're always looking in terms of career and they're always looking at what is the viable project, right? And Diane Keaton is certainly a woman who just followed her own uh, her own muse. That's so true. Like. That's exactly what she has in common with the big sick on yes, so many levels. Kumail was not, I'm sure, intending ever to write a romantic comedy about a girl in a coma or not even necessarily about his familial difficulties. But having lived through it, he decided, he and his collaborator decided, we're going to just write that. Well, I mean, old, she was in the coma, Emily. Yeah, yeah. So she. What's yeah. the old Robert, Robert Lowell quote? Why not tell what happened? Yeah. You know, and, and by being true to themselves and by making all of the characters in the movie be that honest and that direct. Well, it came from, you know, having read all the interviews with them both, and they're such a adorable fucking couple as well. You know, they're yeah. like clearly just best fucking friends, you know. Yeah. Um, and very honest and open about that. And exactly, I mean, like Diane Keaton, you know, has no sides to her. It's all there. It's yeah. all, you know, no for the fronting. taking. No, there's no fronting at all. And I think, like, anyone writing now... Like, it's funny, actually, thematically ties in with my life in the last two weeks because I had some bad work news mm. and then... Um, then had a text from my producer um, who made Man Up, Naira Park, who just said to me, I've been thinking about you and I think you need to just write a small little movie about what's been going on in your life. I think you need to get back to your voice and who you are and what you think about at the moment and all of those things. And it's like, ultimately, you know, when people, you know, people message us on Twitter all the time saying, oh, you know, I've got this idea and I'm doing that. And I just, none of it really matters if it's not, you know, the truth is what is so important in romantic comedies because all our favourite ones, you look at When Harry Met Sally, grounded us yeah. in, entirely in a conversation between Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner about right. the differences their between lives. men and women yeah. and their lives, you yeah. know? And, like, that's your biggest challenge now. And it's not even a challenge because if you're living it and you're experiencing it, then, you know, but you have to live. That's the one problem with romantic comedy writers that we tend to stay in our apartments and not live. <laughs> You've got to get out sometime. Yes. <laughs> and on that happy note... You had us at... Hello. Hello. See you next time.